Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast with your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew. Thank you so much for downloading the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. It's a weekly affair. And each episode, we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity in the hall. Of course, we also ask that you wipe your feet before crossing the threshold into said Hall of Fame building. We want to keep it nice and neat and tidy, and this spring muck is doing no good for anyone. So there's that. This week on the podcast, we welcome back Andrew Clark from Humber College and the uh, Globe and Mail. Uh, Andrew is the dean of the comedy program at Humber College, and uh, it's a, a really fun program. I went through it years ago before Andrew was there. Andrew was a, a history teacher. Um, he taught the history of comedy, but we didn't get him in my cohort what do you say we move over to our friend Matt Ardill and talk to him in Matt's Minutia Minute? Oh, Matt. Hey, Jamie. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. How are you doing? I am great, and I am super excited for today's uh, topic of trivia. Ah. The wild Elliot Gould. Wild. Okay. It was like he was everywhere in the 70s. Um, height, six foot three, born August 29th, 1938. Uh, he's a six-time host. He is a New Yorker through and through, so that he was such a big fixture of SNL in those early years makes sense. He was born in Brooklyn. Um, huh. He was a shy kid. His mother made him take uh, elocution, dance, and, and uh, acting lessons. Uh, she wow. brought him to art and fashion shows, and eventually he got his career in the entertainment world as a child model. 
What? He didn't really enjoy um, acting as a kid, uh, but developed a persona as a great impersonator, uh, which paid off uh, because he got his big break by later impersonating a Broadway agent to a producer and then recommending himself for an audition, which resulted in his first Broadway role starring in Rumple. Wow. That's great. He has 196 acting roles, and he's a five-time producer. Uh, He struggled as an actor to the point he had to continue working as an elevator boy before he eventually landed a role next to Barbara Streisand. Married three times, twice to Jennifer Bogart, and once to the Barbara Streisand. During that time, he was married uh, to Barbara. The press would regularly refer to him as Mr. Streisand, uh, which he didn't really appreciate. I would. (laughs) His breakout role was as Trapper John M.D. from the movie MASH, not the TV show. While he was filming MASH, he lived in the same New York luxury high-rise as his co-star, Donald Sutherland, which helped with their rapport. I bet. He is originally cast to star in Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask, but backed out, making way for Woody Allen to take the part. Huh. He, along with George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and Julia Roberts, have all appeared both in Ocean's movies and in the television show Friends. Well, I... That's a good one. He's the only performer to have had a cameo in more than one classic Muppet movie. He's in both the Muppet movie and Muppets Take Manhattan. Ah. And if I do say so myself, that is the best Muppet movie except for A Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh. And I will fight people for that. Okay, I won't fight. He has appeared in four films selected by the Library of Congress as culturally significant. MASH, The Long Goodbye, Nashville, and, of course, The Muppet Movie. (laughs) And weirdly, he has starred as Noah in The Last Flight of Noah's Ark in 1980, then played God in Noah's Ark, The New Beginning, in 2008. Wow. Which is a strange parallel in one's career. I would say so. Anyways, that's my trivia. Thank you, Jamie, for uh, letting me... How'd you do this today? Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, we'll talk to you next week again when we when we are talking about Herb Sargent. So let's go downstairs now to our friends Thomas Senna and Andrew Clark talking about Elliot Gould. Season one, episode nine was the first time that he hosted. So that was January 10th, 1976. So around that time in the mid seventies, where might you say Elliot Gould was like in the Hollywood hierarchy of that time? Well, he was a, he was a certified, you know, star. I think he was still married to Barbara Streisand at the time. 
Oh yeah. And, um, you know, he had had a number of, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, the star of mash. He was someone who'd worked very closely with the great Robert Altman, you know, in mash, uh, the long goodbye was, um, you know, a huge, uh, motion picture for him, uh, California, um, uh, Shuffle, I'm gonna blank on that. California Split. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I want to say California Sweet, but that's totally different. That's a Neil Simon play. Uh, and he had done Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. So he would be, um, you know, a very, very hip and you know, well sought after actor and a pretty cool guy. I mean, um, you know, one of the things that Elliot Gould has is you know, a tremendous amount of um, you know, charisma. And he isn't someone who came to acting sort of late. Um, you know, his in many of the episodes that he does, the, his his monologue is a song that he just goes right into. But right. his parents had him in tap dancing lessons and, you know, doing uh, theater as a young kid, in part to get over, I think, sort of shyness and that kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, um, that was one thing that surprised me in rewatching the episodes was that it was it became a tradition for his monologues to be a song and dance type of number. And I wasn't really aware of his his background in that. As you listen to the band, don't you get a bubble? As you listen to them play, don't you get a glow? When you step out on the floor, you'll forget your trouble. If you go into your dance, you'll forget your woe. So, come get together. Let the dance floor feel your leather. Step as lightly as a feather. Make yourself go. Because he's such a great film actor, you wouldn't think right off the bat that he had this great Broadway pedigree but that's where he started you know in uh doing musicals like uh, irma laduce or uh say darling in the late 50s um he's he's in the broadway musical i can get it for you wholesale what's like has 300 performances wow and that's where he met barbara streisand you know so he's got this really great live theater background and was yet able to kind of create what I think he called, at least in the, in the long goodbye, which is an, is an adaptation of the um, uh, Raymond Chandler novel, uh, jazz acting. I mean, um, it's a kind of a great percussion to it. And one of the things that I think strikes me about watching Elliot Gould act is a little bit like James Gandolfini is, you know, you really don't think he's acting. You kind of feel like you're just watching peeking into somebody's life. Uh, the, the, I mean, the opening scene of The Long Goodbye where his cat wakes him up and he has to go to the all-night grocery store to buy cat food and he's like half awake. I think one of the critics called him Rip, Rip Van Marlowe. I mean, this is just a beautiful piece of film acting understatement. And yet there's a kind of, throughout that movie, there's a kind of broil that's happening as he sees the way things are unfolding, the way justice isn't being meted out properly. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's a, he's a real anti-hero, you know, in that. And yet he's got that core to him. Right. Yeah. One of the, one of the, his appearances, uh, brief appearances in a movie from around this time, it was like a year before he hosted SNL that kind of speaks to what you were saying about how he was cool and how I guess where he stood in Hollywood was, uh, appearing in Nashville, pretty briefly because he was he was positioned as like he played himself in nashville very briefly he was positioned as like the star 
this kind of cool guy. So, so I guess, you know, watching Nashville, that kind of tells you where Elliot Gould might have been around that time in Hollywood. Yeah. And then, of course, he reprises it in The Player. He's in The Player. <laughs> Just very briefly at an awards dinner, you get like one shot of Elliot Gould, which is like vintage because the player, which of course he does not play a big role in, has the most Oscar winners and Oscar nominees of any mo movie, but they're, they're all extras. So it's like all these really famous Hollywood people. So why then did that lend itself to the 70s, you know, and to Saturday Night Live? I think, you know, when I'm looking at uh, Elliot Gould in any of those scenes, man, he's the ultimate anchor or grounder. I mean, he's he's funny, but he is just playing into those scenes, keeping them going, letting the other people around him be creative and have let, letting John Belushi have the lines as um, Corleone in the group therapy uh, right. sketch where it's a group therapy and and Don Corleone's confessing about how he feels about the the Bartzonis or whatever. I'm, I'm you know he's always sort of anchoring these scenes and he has a real ease to him, you know. Or um I remember him playing like a very weird sketch the Wydettes where everyone has yes. a huge butt. Yeah. Um or you know an alcoholic who sees uh, the 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 mascots from various like Johnny Walker I think is like one of the you know, his Christmas spirits that he, he relates to. There's like a so he has a big the range. Crew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was one of my main notes too, is re when rewatching these episodes was that it seemed like Elliot was really wonderful at being part of an ensemble during sketches. I mean, you, we see a lot of hosts who um, sometimes it feels like, like they have to be the dominant personality in the sketches or in the show. To me, what I loved about Elliot was that he was he seemed almost willing or almost I don't, I don't know if it's preferred but he was just very willing to be part of that ensemble to make the sketch kind of uh kind of go so so yeah mm -hmm. so I think I think you definitely spoke to that uh, I was curious though where were you around this time as far as uh your SNL fandom or kind of your comedy <laughs> fandom uh around this time kind of where were well, you I was pretty young I try and remember, I mean, I first saw Saturday Night Live on tape and it was an, one of my aunt's boyfriends had a, th a three quarter inch VCR that he used to tape Saturday Night Live. And we watched the very first thing I ever saw on videotape was the wild and crazy guy, uh, Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd thing. So I wasn't staying up to watch Saturday Night Live. I had to sort of experience most of them after the fact of, of this era. But then as soon as things like Animal House and all of that happened, I was right there it, with my face pressed against the glass. Not old enough to go and see, you know, Animal House when it goes out. But of course, then not soon after. And of course, I'm really dating myself. But, you know, the practice was that you would reserve the, you know, one vhs or beta machine that the video store had for the weekend you would come you'd give a you know a pint of blood uh passport uh you know and then you would take home what whatever tapes they had and so you got what they had and so often they had you know caddyshack emmanuel diary of a woman a clockwork orange um you know animal house the Godfather, like it was whatever. And then you have yourself an eclectic weekend. If you got well, all of those at if, the same, <laughs> because it was normally, it was my friend, Dave Lang's older brother who would rent it. And so the older brother and all their friends would sit in the front and we would sort of sit at the back 
And this, when you rented these machines, you, you, you ran them 24 hours a day. So the movies played constantly mm -hmm. for two, two and a half days over the weekend. Oh, wow. Because you had to get every, because this is incredibly, you know, I mean, it was like, you know, for us, it was, I don't want to update myself, but, you know, I was of a generation where, and I think this informs actually, interestingly enough, Saturday Night Live and Lauren Michaels and the program itself and brings us back to Elliot Gould. Um, a, maybe the last generation, if you will, where the TV was in charge, you watched what was on. And if you missed the, if you missed the Charlie Brown Christmas, you missed it. See you next year. There was no way that you would see it again. So the TV had an enormous amount of power. And I think when you look at what Saturday Night Live is kind of doing is it's the, the people who grew up with that, the baby boomers, you know, have, you, you love it and you hate it. So now it's our turn to destroy television, the thing that was in charge, so to speak. So uh, and I think Elliot Gould, you know, is definitely a part of that wave. Like I think of him when I think of you know, the golden age of Hollywood, if you will, the, the 60s and 70s, I definitely think of Elliot Gould because he's so distinctive. I mean, his performance in MASH is really something. It's a really um, great piece of comic understatement. And I think he always brought that to the show. And I, you know, bring it back to what you said, you really get the feeling that part of why he did it was he probably liked doing it. And the show is new, basically. He's helped, this is a star lending star power to something that's trying to find its feet, right? This is not um, someone being on Saturday Night Live in the 90s or the 2000s or whatever. This is Elliot Gould, big, credible, you know, he's the first person, I think the first sort of American star to be in, Ing in an Ingmar Bergman movie, The Touch. Oh, really? Like, this is a guy who has real chops, who I think has a real sort of innate understanding of how to communicate as an actor on television and but specifically on film and i think you see that so you know we used to talk a little bit about like you know i didn't do a lot of movie reviewing or whatnot but we used to joke about canadian actors that they would hire to act next to stars who couldn't act and I want to, I want to net mention that none of them would, <laughs> would, would mind, but like, you know, like one of their last names rhymes with Eeyore, put it that mm -hmm. way. And he's mm -hmm. in Stratford. So it would be like, if you put this actor in a scene with me, he could almost make it look like I could act because they're that good. Yeah. They can almost react for me. So I don't think that that's what you needed Elliot Gould for on Saturday Night Live, but he brings an element of that. Like they're all way out, way out probably strung out some of them, right? And yet Elliot Gould's just rooted like a tree in most of the scenes that he's doing. And so that allows those guys to do their thing. And I, I don't think it's an accident. I think he, you know, understood what he was doing. And I think he probably understood that, you know, he was part of something interesting and different. And I think that was a big part of his artistic sensibility, which I think is, is you can see. I mean, he, his career went up and down, all careers do. Um, but he never really, I don't think sort of got away from the thing that made him, you know, so watchable. Yeah, that's very well said. And it's interesting to me looking at just season one of Saturday Night Live and the first few episodes, and it almost seems like Lorne Michaels and the production team with their choices of hosts, they were trying to go for people. Like you said, they, they didn't take any big swings in terms of folks who they weren't sure 
how they would mesh with the show. You know, you saw George Carlin, Paul Simon, Rob Reiner, Candace Bergen twice in those, (laughs) in those first few Richard Pryor had a really famous episode, Lily Tomlin. So it was all these, all these people who, who I, I I think that Lorne Michaels felt that he could trust with the show. And it says to me a lot about Elliot Gould that he hosted the ninth episode of the first season. It seems, it says a lot to me that, that he was part of that, group that Lorne Michaels probably felt that like he could trust, like the show was in good hands. You know? Absolutely. I think also, I think that because the show is now such an iconic institution, people kind of forget that Lorne Michaels was not always quote Lorne Michaels, right? So he's not the kingmaker at this point in time, if you will. Um, he's a guy, he's a producer who's really sweating it, trying to get this really unwieldy ship off the ground. And so, yeah, he's not only looking for people he can trust, but he's looking for people that he could get. Yeah. So who knows? I mean, I, you'd have to ask him, but I mean, Elliot Gould, you're like, okay, we know he's good. We know he's a star. He did it before. Let's do it. Cause it wasn't like, I mean, everybody, it, it's a little bit like everybody claiming that they saw you know, the police at the horseshoe whenever it was in 79. And there's only like 33 people there, but there must be about 3,000 who claim to have been there. So uh, there's a lot of people who tell you that they knew Saturday Night Live was going to take off in the seven, in 76, but uh-uh, I don't think so. I mean, the, the, the headline Saturday Night Dead ran almost immediately once the show went on the air. Um, so I do think that it's it's that. And I think it's a producer who's young, who's really hungry and who knows this is, is, you know, this is a big shot for him. I mean, and I think that, again, it's hard for people now because the, the show has had such longevity and he's had such a huge impact on comedy, period, to remember that there was a time when it could not have gone well and not everybody wanted to be associated with the show and not everybody wanted to go on board. And, it, you know, they were really trying to find their their footing. Yeah, so Lauren I think had that... To, uh, Lauren had to... Um he had a big network to prove himself to, which is, you know, NBC. That was, that, that was kind of a jump for him. And he, he had to kind of show NBC why they should air his show as opposed to going back, possibly going back to Johnny Carson reruns or, yeah. or something else. Right. Cause that's why SNL kind of exists is because what Johnny Carson didn't, didn't want his reruns aired. They don't want to reruns aired and, and I'm, they were looking for a pilot and, and I think Lauren had been through a few things and he's like, I'll do it, but I want a guaranteed number because he knew the show would take time to stick. Uh, of course, um, it's famous that he didn't want to go to New York. He wanted to stay in LA and not, and, and not have the show there. Um, and I think that, um, that he, you know, that, that the notion that anyone would be up late watching TV was completely absurd to a lot of people in the television world. It's just sort of weird that it that it all took off, and we can kind of um, all um, you know look back on it now. But I think that you know with Elliot Gould, you 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 know you're getting a great actor who you can trust, and frankly, who's also part of that sensibility. There's you know Elliot Gould is definitely an outsider looking in. I think mm-hmm. I think when you look at look at his most iconic roles, they're often that anti-establishment, even the movie Getting Straight, which is on, um, I think, Hollywood Suite. I, I, it won't be on necessarily by the time this airs, but, you know, he's often playing an anti-establishment, anti-corporate, anti, you know, an, 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 an outsider. So he fit perfectly. And, you know, he's a handsome guy. He's a charismatic guy. You know, it's not like he's, you know, going to be hard for anyone to look at. So 
you know, he's not uh, Candace Bergen, but <laughs> he has a charisma, you know, and I think that's also something that the, the show wanted. And, you know, they're matching him up with, you know, musical guests like Peter Tosh or Kid Creole and the Coconuts in the 80s. As I understand it, you know, he, um, the last episode he was on, I think he thought that Lauren was still the producer. And yeah, in fact, I was he gonna... was no longer a producer and sort of right. gets to the gets to the rehearsal, like, where's Lauren? And they're kind of like, um, <laughs> he's not here. Yeah. Lauren's not here, you know? Yeah, so definitely. I, d- I did want to dive into uh, some of his specific kind of work uh, on mm-hmm. SNL um, a little bit, too. And so, like I said, he had first hosted January 10th, 1976. And there was a running thread throughout that show of he and Gilda having sort of a, a romance. It started with the monologue and Gilda kind of came out and they chatted there. What are you doing after the show? Tonight? Yeah. Oh, Gilda, I got to fly right back to California in the morning. So I got to go back to my hotel, pack, and then I thought I'd just go to sleep. Oh, okay. Uh, look, I'm a grown woman. I understand how things happen between people. And uh, I just want you to know that I meant everything I said last night. Me too. <laughs> really? Okay, bye. And that just kind of kept going throughout the whole show. What kind of chemistry or did you notice between two people who are quite frankly, two of the more charming, they're two of the more charming people (laughs) in show business from around that time. Well, I think that um, it's one playing on the fact that Elliot Gould, you know, was a subject of the tabloid press and like his love, his love life was, was a subject of, of the press. So there's that. Uh, And I also think that, yeah, you take two charming people and throw them into a lifeboat, sort of. And it sort of sets up, because we're going to see this in other with other hosts, mm-hmm. you know, where various cast members, often, you know, the female cast members are going to have a crush or they're going to have that through line. I don't think that you see it a, a ton where they there's a running joke like this. It's not like a br- blueprint. Might just but, happen um, during the monologue or something. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, you know, if Justin Timberlake's on you know, people come out or if uh, Idris Alba's on, there's going to be people there to, to talk about what a, you know, charismatic hunky guy he is. So I think it's playing on those things or, and Elliot and Elliot Gould sort of status a little bit as a, as a heartthrob or a sex symbol. And Gilda's great. I mean, she, she, she was someone who could really act, right. I mean, who's got that. And a lot of her best characters had a real core truth to them. Sort yeah, of, sort of truth speak, and you know. truth and likability, definitely. Yeah. And that, so at the end of that episode, um, that first episode that he hosted, he and Gilda end up during the good nights. They have this wedding ceremony and yeah. they decide that they're going to get hitched or whatever. Um, so that was kind of a fun button on that on that running gag. Second time he hosted, May 29th, 1976, another singing monologue, which was wonderful again. He's in a very, very famous sketch. And I, I guess for a long time, I didn't realize that he was in that. That kind of speaks to playing with the ensemble. But he was in a Star Trek yep. sketch in that episode. What, did, what do you remember about that sketch and his involvement? Well, it's sort of so much about John Belushi as as Kirk, right? Mm-hmm. And Chevy Chase as Spock, you do kind of forget it. You know, you forget like 
what a role he's playing in there, you know, throughout. And I mean, it was like they revisited Star Trek on numerous occasions, right? Mm -hmm. He was also in uh, Killer Bees later on. I don't want to jump the gun. So he was in quite a few sort of really iconic um, uh, things. What what did you make of, uh, of him in Star Trek? I thought that he had the perfect personality for somebody who was supposed to be basically canceling the show. I'm Captain James C. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, representing the United Federation of Planets. Hi, I'm Herb Goodman, head of programming for the network. Stand back. I will not hesitate to shoot. Uh, can I have your attention, please? Please, I need some attention. Curtis, will you uh, turn the sound effects down? I'd like everybody's attention, please. I have a, an announcement to make. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, due to the low Nielsen ratings, we at NBC have decided to unfortunately cancel Star Trek. Yeah. And he was very believable <laughs> yeah. in that just sort yeah. of his, uh, yeah. there's, I don't want to say, I guess there's is a little bit of cockiness that would come off of Elliot Gould around that time, but it wasn't like a totally negative thing, but it just, he just had the right personality type to make it believable that he was this head of programming that was coming in and just canceling the like show. Sungla- he has sunglasses yeah, on and he's like, exactly. so I, if you guys want to take any props, you know, as a souvenir, <laughs> feel free, you know. Yes. Um, I, I almost feel like they're having a bit of fun of uh, with Saturday Night Live getting canceled at some yeah. point. I mean, yeah. they've all been there. But yeah, and uh, the, the other thing that, that kind of meshes ni- nicely with the with the Killer Bees is the fact that it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's 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 tangential. Like the, the sketch doesn't end. It doesn't really have an ending. The ending is getting canceled by the guy in this, in the, in the station wagon mm-hmm. or in the killer bees. It's, Hey, the director's passed out and the camera's not where it's supposed to be. And I hope I'm not jumping the gun and, you know, Ellie no, Gould no, isn't, you no, know, he's not, great. he's giving this great speech as the killer bee, you know, head honcho and, and, you know, the camera's not on him and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of exposing the TV behind the TV sort of. Yeah. yeah that's when, that's back when SNL was mo- more prone to be self-referential in a lot of ways and breaking the fourth wall and, and kind of like experimenting with that kind of kind of comedy the killer bees one that you referenced they did break the fourth wall and that as as kind of tended to happen in those killer bees sketches and um, they also kind of continued the elliot gilda romance elliot do you have a few minutes (laughs) wait there's just wait here there's somebody i want you to meet okay oh hi um elliot this is my mom you can tell it was at, at the time when the show was still trying to find its voice, kind of trying to find itself. They're trying to play with certain comedic devices and everything. And Elliot was just such a game host and yeah. willing to just try and all of yeah. that. Yeah. He reminds me a little bit of someone like Justin Timberlake. And by that, I mean, mm-hmm. as a host, just kind of up for anything, obviously likes doing it or why do it. You know what I mean? But. Exactly. I've always had a theory about about hosts with SNL and that I always just found it interesting that they're even called hosts in the first place because it seems like the really good hosts almost surrender themselves to the show. So they're not like necessarily leading the show that night. They they're sort of finding their place within the show and getting whisked away. So I always found it interesting they're called hosts but they're not nece- the good ones aren't necessarily just grabbing the show um and running Absolutely. with it themselves yeah 
And if you ask cast members, they'll usually tell you that their favorite hosts are people who were game, mm-hmm. you know, who are up to do it. Hey, let's try it. Or, you know, went to bat for one of their sketches or whatever. You know, you have to be, you have to be, you have to be happy to be there and play, so to speak. Yeah. And in a very stressful environment. Right. Yeah. So um, I wanted to kind of separate Elliot Gould's time and you had kind of referenced it before between like the Lorne Michaels, his Lorne Michaels hosting years Mm -hmm. and then his last hosting stint. So um, when he was hosting during the Lorne Michaels first five years, is there anything that maybe stood out to you, uh, sketches or character or anything like that? I I mean, I think that you can you can see a kind of change. I mean, the the first cold open, I think of of one of the post Lauren uh, shows is a parody almost of the movie Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Mm-hmm. And they're all in bed, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. I think that the quality of those shows after Lauren, obviously, I, I don't think are as good, you know, in general. I never think, or I would never say that, oh, these people are terrible. I know sometimes people say that person's terrible or that cast member's terrible. I kind of look at that, and maybe I'm being a bit of a softy, but there's no bad hockey players in the NHL. There's no bad. <laughs> they're not bad. They're just, just, you know, it just didn't work. Uh, but for some reason. to like the other most amazing right, hockey yeah, players I in mean, the world, right? Yeah. You know, they're not bad. No. It just didn't work. So. But there's sometimes this urge to be so categoric, and yet it's by the same people, which if you looked at them sideways at the photocopier, they'd be upset. So they, they lambaste and dismiss, you know, various cast members or this or that. They're terrible. It's like, no, like, no one's being harmed here. We're talking about a, a show that's worth talking about, but let's not get vindictive. So I'm not going to sort of dine out on how terrible that, that those seasons were. They weren't great. Frank. And um, I don't, I don't, I don't think necessarily. Maybe Elliot Gould, his heart wasn't as closely into it as it might have been when Lauren was there. But I also think he's too, too much of a professional to let that get in his way. I think the amount of people sometimes forget the amount of technique that goes into this, and they can do it when they're not inspired, yeah. if they have to, which is a lot. So, <laughs> and you mentioned um, that cold open for that. Uh, that cold open was a takeoff of Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. So, I actually, you know, segueing into talking more about that, I actually have a little game for you that, that I want to play. Okay. I'm going to spring up I a game. Fail. Okay. No, you're good. There's no such thing as failing in this game. Uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> okay. So, it's two truths and a lie. So I'll I'll name three statements, and two of those statements are true, and one of those is a lie. So your job is to spot the lie. Okay, that might be tough, but let's we'll we'll see. So uh, during season six, episode one, during that cold open, Elliot meets the new cast members. As you had mentioned, they're all kind of laying in yeah. bed together. Some of them are compared to the original cast. So which of these statements is not true? So Gail Mathias was said to have been a cross between Gilda Radner and Jane Curtin. Mm-hmm. Joe Piscopo was said to have been a cross between Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. Uh-huh. Or Gilbert Gottfried was said to have been a cross between John Belushi and Harry Shearer. So which one of those was not said in that sketch? You know, I want to say three. Because mm-hmm. I remember Charles Rocket, I think, being compared to a Bill Murray Chevy Chase. You're, yeah. Uh, and you get extra um, credit for that. So that's great. Okay. <laughs> 
Wow. Um, All right. Good. So, well, yeah, so think, Charles I'm Rock. I'm sure, but I don't think folks back then maybe were quite a, quite as aware of him as they are today. Well, I was going to say, actually, Gilbert Gottfried was compared to John, to John Belushi and Harry Shearer. So it's actually Joe Piscopo. He actually did. Really? They didn't make a comparison to Joe Piscopo. He was in the sketch, ah, but they didn't okay. really, they didn't reference like, oh, so you're a cross between uh, X, ah. Y, and Z. So it was Gail Mathias. So they said yeah. uh, Gail was a cross between Gilda and Jane. Charles Rocket, a cross between Chevy and Bill Murray. Um, Anne Risley was said to have been a cross between Gilda and Lorraine Newman. Hmm. And then they said Gilbert Gottfried was a cross between John Belushi and Harry Shearer. I found that super interesting because you said, you know, this was the first episode of the post-Lorne Michaels era, or the first era. It was Gene Dumanian that was, mm-hmm. uh, that was the producer. And I, I found it interesting that, one, they would just flat out reference the old cast in the first episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's two, a, it's a, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, and then two, that Elliot Gould was actually the first host when he was so synonymous with those first five years. I could say, I don't like to speak for Lorne Michaels, but I could certainly say that that sketch would never have aired under Lorne Michaels for the very reason of why on earth would you remind everybody? Maybe they'd forgotten, but yeah. now you're going to remind everybody that you're not. You're a compilation of the people who are no longer there. Not a good idea. And yeah, of course, it didn't I'm... work out. Again, you look at it, the, some talented people, you know. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey's was no slouch, right? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I can't speak for him, but I bet a lot of money that Lauren Michaels would never have put that sketch on. Saturday no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I kind of think, too, that tabbing Elliot Gould to host the first episode was, was, a very concerted thing on Jean Dumanian's part to kind of kick off her first season in the very first episode on kind of a high note. You know, uh, I think that says yeah. a lot about Elliot too. Yeah. And, and again, a, a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, I think, to be honest, I've here, I talked about people being mean. It's like, why would you bring someone so closely associated with the previous regime in to launch it? It just seems unwise. Yeah, um, yeah. Not, nothing to do with Elliot Gold. Um, well, you, you just think, you know, maybe do your own thing. Uh, but again, sometimes we ascribe a lot of third of um, thinking and, <laughs> you know, stuff to stuff that isn't there. It's a, a lot of times it just happened. People are busy, stuff's going wrong, you know. So we sometimes ascribe, as is human nature, some nefarious plot mm-hmm. when in fact it was just like, well, that's just the way it worked out. Uh, yeah, doesn't make as interesting talking or reading. But exactly, yeah. and you'd mentioned that tabbing Elliot Gould to host this episode might not have been the wisest choice. I think that's a compliment to Elliot Gould that he would be still be memorable um, for the fans of the initial run. Yeah, and I mean he's you know again Elliot Gould. The people know who Elliot Gould is now. Now they may say, oh, he's from the Ocean's Eleven. I remember going to an event in New York, and Michael York unbelievable actor of course was there and someone said look it's the guy from austin powers <laughs> and of course he was in austin powers and sure. he was quite good but he was also in a whole lot of other great films right so on the one hand you can say well what about this or that but then it's like well there's a career there that is that the, there are new people liking your work and again the, i think the fact that elliot gould has has often been and i'm not the first person to say this there was a i think her name is Tara or Tamara Brady in the Irish Times, you know, he's often the best thing in any movie he does. Yeah. 
he's often the most memorable thing in a lot of pictures that he does. I think that's a real credit to him, you know, as an actor and and, and in a way I would say as a kind of filmmaker, because, you know, we often think of, of filmmakers are directors. Well, great cinematic actors are also filmmakers. They're, they just don't necessarily have final cut, but they are very, very aware of what they're doing and how they're being, how, how, how what they're doing translates onto the screen or onto the stage. And so that's the other thing I think as well. With Elliot Gould, you're talking about a guy with, let's, if we bring it all back to the Broadway live stage pedigree. And what's Saturday Night Live? Live. Mm-hmm. And what's he done? Tons of live performance. So I think he once compared theater to the fastest sport almost because he's a huge basketball fan and like a big sports fan. So the rush that the fact that theater, this Saturday Night Live is essentially live theater, if you will. To air. And so having someone like Elliot Gould, then you really know he can handle it. This is not a guy who's going to, I don't think he ever corpse, put it that way. Right. right. He is not going to corpse. Elliot Gould, no, not going to (laughs) happen. So November 15, 1980, that was the episode that we had just talked about. That was the last, his last hosting stint on Saturday Night Live was 1980. He did reappear actually in 2022 so not too long ago in a five-timer sketch did you happen to catch uh, that yeah. five-timer sketch yeah and yeah. I, I was like i couldn't believe that he hadn't hosted again but i guess yeah. often you're hosting because you know you have a big project and i think he's he's been part of a lot of big things but you know at a certain point you're not always opening movies right, right. um so maybe that's had something to do with it because i was like really he's never been on since 1980 as a host I mean, yeah. geez, I but, thought you know, hey, it's a pretty competitive. Time. It's a competitive world, right? There's a yeah. lot of people opening movies, but yeah, I thought that was really great, and it also reminded people, I think, in a nice way, of his contribution to the show. Because um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, frankly, him uh, participating helped legitimize the show, in, in I, you know, in 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 a way that other people did as well, right? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned someone like Kensburg, big star. You know, there were stars who were friendly to the show. Uh, Steve Martin, of course, you know, but Steve Martin, his career in Saturday Night Live are very intertwined in a lot of respects. You know, Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a surprise to me when they panned to Elliot Gould during John Mulaney's five-timer five sketch. Tonight, you're in the company of comedy legends and the sexiest man alive. <laughs> this silly thing... Paul, that was so 2021. I'm talking about Mr. Elliot Gould. Oh, hello. Oh, my God, Elliot. Paul may have People magazine, but I was named Sexiest Man Alive by Chest Hair Magazine. Hey, Elliot, do you remember being on my sitcom? Should I? <laughs> it's really nice. I, I think Lauren still has, he, he has a nostalgia and a soft spot for, uh, for SNL's history. I mean, he's aware of it, obviously. And he knows that the, he knew that that would be a treat for a lot of hardcore SNL fans to see Elliot sitting there. Yeah. And I, I think that Lauren Michaels, as much as he says that talking too long about comedy, you become boring after, I think, two minutes or something. (laughs) Uh, I remember interviewing him the first time he told me that. And I think I was lucky. Then we talked about comedy for like an hour and a half. But um, I think he's aware of, you know, if you will, history, 
And I think, again, I think probably more than anyone, he probably knows how dicey things were at the beginning. And so in show business, there's people who forget everybody who helped them. And then there's the people who never forget. And I think, I don't know. I mean, my, my experience with Warren Michaels is as a journalist interviewing him, mm -hmm. but I do get the feeling that um, he's someone who does remember uh, the people who, you know, were, uh, you know, good to him and to, to whom uh, he owes something. Yeah, definitely. So for our listeners, um, uh, as we wrap this up to put a bow on everything, what's just kind of your final summary of why Elliot Gold would be worth, uh, worthy of entry into the SNL Hall of Fame? Well, I think that um, he was there when the show needed him. And I think he was involved in a lot of those great sketches. And again, we weren't at the table, but maybe he was someone who helped get that weird uh, Killer Bee sketch through or who said, yeah, let's have it. Let's have that the executive cancel the show. So, you know, one of the things a host can do is the host's vibe about a sketch isn't going to trump Lorne Michaels, but it's going to have a little bit of a role to play. Because I think if you're a producer, you're like, well, my the star or whatever likes it. So if I, I know if we do this sketch, we're going to have that going for it. So I think he's an important part of that era. I think people kind of crap on the 70s Saturday Night Live sometimes. Hmm. Uh, it's, oh, wasn't that funny or whatever. It's like, well, honestly, I think the ratio is pretty good. But as well, you know, they're finding the show's identity. And so, so when Elliot Gould's going on, he's going on to a pretty chaotic environment where people are trying to find their footing. And so I think he's probably an important part of that. And I hope that he gets to host again at some point. But again, that's none of my business, but it'd be kind of fun to have him see. And I think that it can't be underestimated, you know, how important of a of a celebrity and a star he was in the 70s. And that's not to diminish his career now or, or anything like that. But generally speaking, you, you know, you're only that hip and cool and talented for so long. And then the wheel comes around and then you become a legend or, you know, <laughs> you get venerated by people and you wonder if you're pertinent anymore yeah. so i guess that's where i'd come at it like f a funny guy who really could ground scenes and who i think probably lauren michaels looked to and said yeah if we have him we know we're we're gonna have a good show and if yeah. it doesn't work it's not gonna be the host yeah well 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 said thank you so much andrew for joining me thank today. you great fun That was Thomas Senna in conversation with Andrew Clark talking about Elliot Gould. And thank you so much, boys. You schooled me in terms of Elliot Gould. Uh, not that I was thinking he was just Ross's dad, Ross and Rachel, uh, Ross and Monica's dad. But really, you know, he slowed down to the point where that was the only work he was sort of well, he was doing a lot of other work. He was doing the Oceans movies and stuff, I suppose. But we didn't see a whole lot of him after after having access to him in the way that we did in the 70s. Let's listen to the sketch now. This is uh, actually a monologue. This is actually Mr. Um, Mr. Gould's first monologue ever from his first episode ever. So why don't we give it a listen and see what we get? And uh, we'll go from there.
Well, I just got in and this is a lucky. <laughs> and uh, does anybody know who won the Islander game? Oh, they were behind the Russians two to one. I know it's over, but the island is where I'm coming from, Bell Harbor. And, uh, well, okay, I went back, got some old music. Paul Schaefer's gonna play for me. Okay. As you listen to the band, don't you get a bubble? As you listen to them play, don't you get a glow? When you step out on the floor, you'll forget your trouble. If you go into your dance, you'll forget your woe. So Come get together, let the dance floor feel your leather. Step as lightly as a feather, make yourself go. Come hit the timber, loosen up and start to limber. Can't you hear that hot marimba? Let yourself go. Now let yourself go, relax, and let yourself go, relax. You got yourself tied up in a knot. The night is cold, but the music's hot, so cuddle closer. Don't you dare to answer no, sir. Butcher, baker, clerk, or grocer, let yourself go. Crazy rhythm, here's a doorway. You be your way, I'll go my way. Crazy rhythm, here's goodbye to you. Where we have a showdown You're too high hat, I'm too low down Crazy rhythm, here's goodbye to you Suspenders They say that when a highbrow meets a lowbrow Walking along Broadway Soon the highbrow, he got no brow Ain't it a shame, you are to blame What's the use of prohibition? You produce the same condition Crazy rhythm, I've gone crazy too Uh, you okay? Yeah. Elliot, I, I just wanted to tell you I had a wonderful time last night. Oh. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Me too. I had a ball. Really? Uh -huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, uh, after you left my place this morning, I was a little nervous about seeing you today, but I don't feel guilty or anything because I know I like you and, and you said you like me, right? Sure do. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing after the show? Tonight? Yeah. Oh, Gilda, I gotta fly right back to California in the morning, so I gotta go back to my hotel, pack, and then I thought I'd just go to sleep. Oh, okay. Uh, look, I'm a grown woman. I understand how things happen between people. And uh, I just want you to know that I meant everything I said last night. Me too. <laughs> really? Okay, bye. Okay, uh, we'll be right back after this message. I wonder what the message was that they came back from. Uh, that stuff makes me curious. Uh, not as slick or as, uh, you know, beautiful as the monologues that we get nowadays. 
Um, but he's just showing his chops there. He's he's showing off what he can do, and um, showing that he's game and that he's he's ready for whatever this episode is, wherever this episode is going to take him. Because quite frankly, like Andrew said, you know they were still formulating the shape of the show in the ninth episode. It, it didn't have you know full mass yet. It was it was still protoplasmic, if you will. So there's that. That's what I got for you this week on the SNL Hall of Fame. I hope you enjoyed yourself. As always, next week we will be talking about Herb Sargent. Should be a great episode. Tune in for that when I'm back reunited with Matt and Thomas. And of course, we'll have another great guest. So there's that. But if I could ask you one thing, it's that on your way out, as you walk past the Weekend Update exhibit, Could you turn out the lights? Because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week. Dubra. Podcasts and such. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.